0: I want to welcome you again to Central this morning, where we seek transformation through the renewing work of the Lord Jesus Christ. This morning, we're starting a new sermon series studying the life of David in, in pictures and vignettes. But this is going to be a little bit of a different, uh, differently focused series. The question before us that we're going to consider week by week is how does God develop a heart for himself in a disciple? What, what are the places in David's life and in, in our own hearts that the Lord shapes and, and massages to give us a hunger for him in this life? I love studying the life of David because the Bible's so honest about him. It's an earthy and transparent picture of this man whose life was filled with tragedy and brokenness and leadership failures all clearly laid out before us. Because in him we can see our lives, we can see our world mirrored. So here's our question as we start this series. What are the longings of the heart that the Lord nourishes to grow a disciple? What are the longings, what are the places in our hearts that the Lord grows a heart for Him in us? This morning we're going to start with 1 Samuel 16 and the transition from King Saul to King David. And it all begins with ambition. Where are our ambitions Pointed. Let's pray as we turn our hearts to God's word. Father, we ask that you would open our eyes, that we would behold Jesus, that we would see him and count him as more beautiful than everything, and give us hearts to follow him, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. 1 Samuel 16, beginning in verse 1. The Lord said to Samuel, how long will you grieve over Saul since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Then Jesse made Shammah pass by, and he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. And Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen these. Then Samuel said to Jesse, Are all your sons here? And he said, There remains yet the youngest, but behold, he's keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, Send and get him, for we will not sit down till he comes here. And he sent and brought him in. Now, he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God will stand forever." Dangerous words, I've got this. Ever thought about how dangerous that can really be to say, I've got this? Just after Christmas, our family went to West Virginia to be with Missy's family, and our celebration for New Year took a turn that it had never taken before. It turned into a family dance party. And it was fun. In fact, Isaiah said this was the most fun New Year's he'd ever had. It was fun until it turned into a cringe moment. My sister-in-law was playing music as adults and kids were dancing, having a great time, and then the antics started. There were attempts at line dancing and then break dancing and old people trying to do the worm, (laughs) which turned into attempts to do handstands. And this is the moment, I like the groans, this is the moment when you think, hmm, that's not a great idea, Clay. Not sure that's what you need to be doing. Well, a couple of the youngsters did handstands, and so I thought, I'll do one too. I could do this. So I got ready, and Isaiah wisely asked, Dad, you need me to hold your legs? And I said, Oh, that's very helpful, son, but I've got this. Dangerous ambitions. That Missy has it, a video of it on her phone if you want to watch the whole debacle. <laughs> I started and did my handstand and wobbled a little bit and then thwack, my knee came crashing down on the arm of the Queen Anne chair in the living room and there was ice and there were bloody knees and bandages and I was clinging to that bottle of ibuprofen with all I had <laughs> and was left with a heart of bruised ambitions. I've got this. I've got this can sometimes be the doorway to disaster. But ambitions aren't always that way, are they? I mean, sometimes ambition can drive us to do incredible things like like achieve and manufacture and and invent and produce things. It's, It's ambitions that call us not to be satisfied with what remains broken in this world. So what is the place of ambition in the Christian life? Well, in the Christian life, it all depends on where it's pointed When ambition is inflated with the prideful, I've got this attitude, we're walking into danger. But when our ambitions are pointed toward the Lord, the attitude of he's got this, then we can see amazing things happen for his kingdom and his name through us as his servants. One of the ways that the Lord gets a hold of our heart and gives us a heart for God is to grab hold of our ambitions. So where are yours pointed? Are your ambitions aimed at your own little kingdom and building and establishing a reputation for self? Or are our ambitions pointed toward God's kingdom and making his name famous through the ways that we live our lives? Where are your ambitions pointed today? In the beginning of our text, we see the carryover from chapter 15 where King Saul was exposed for who he had become. King Saul had a deep ambition for himself. In fact, he used God's people to prop himself up. He even tried to use God to advance himself. And that can happen to any of us because ambition can masquerade as faithfulness until God blows the lid off the whole thing like he does here. How does he do it? Well, he shows us first that ambition for God can be undone by a quest for popularity. Ambition for God can be undone by a quest for popularity. Look at verse 1, where Samuel is asked, "'How long will you grieve over Saul, since I've rejected him from being king over Israel?' Samuel was the powerful judge. He was the prophet who had anointed Saul to be king as the first king of Israel, and now Samuel was grieving because of it. He was grieving because Saul was given as Israel cried out for a king, as they put it in 1 Samuel 8. We want a king like all the other nations have. They kept going. We want a king who will go out and fight for us. We want a king who's going to defend us. Never mind that we have the Lord on our side. We want a man to be our hero. And so the Lord gave them Saul. He gave them what they asked for. But the design of Israel's king was that he was not supposed to be a king like all the other nations had. But Saul turned out to be exactly like they were. How? He used his power, he used his strength, he used his ambitions all for himself. Saul wanted to be hailed as a hero. And at the end of chapter 15 in verses 24 and 30, Saul's pursuit was to elevate his standing in the eyes of the people around him. He was insecure. He was an approval hound. He was looking for other people who would honor him as great. He was searching for his worth in the eyes of other people. And it completely wrecked his kingship. Saul's ambitions were captivated by a quest for popularity. He was building his own reputation. He was living for the approval ratings. All the while ignoring the Lord who had made him king. You know, we can do the same thing. That's why Samuel was grieving in verse 1. Saul had a heart for himself. Saul's ambitions were me first. Maybe we can see a little bit of ourselves in King Saul. For example, we can have those feelings of peace, feeling good about ourselves. We feel I've got this as long as everybody likes me. As long as I've got the approval of the people around me, I feel like I've got this. I'm on the the top of the world. Now, most of us don't consciously Think about life this way, but nevertheless, the ambition for approval can burrow its way into our hearts, can't it? Think about it like this when you go to bed at night. How easy is it to sleep when you feel like you got the world by the tail? How easy is it to sleep when you feel like everybody loves me, everybody's adoring me, and how hard is it to sleep if you feel like somebody's upset with you? There's some relationship that's just not right. That feeling of being disapproved can be like the computer CPU that's just whirring in the background of our mind all the time, ruminating over and over wounds, replaying interactions with other people in our hearts and our minds, and we feel angst because I'm not popular. We feel anxiety about I'm not approved by enough people. It's not just teenagers who can live for the social media likes, Adults can do it too. We can live for the number of positive reinforcing comments I get versus what people, where they tell me I need to improve. You know, just because we receive a lot of positive comments doesn't necessarily mean that our lives are filled with godliness. Because the truth is that as disciples of Jesus, he often leads us into places and spaces counter to where our culture stands. Ambition for approval can shipwreck our faith because sometimes having a heart for God isn't going to be celebrated by the culture around us. Sometimes the Lord enables us to stand for Him when our culture shouts, sit down. Ambition for God can sometimes be undone by the quest for popularity. It happens to all of us. Also, we see in this text that ambition for God can be undone by pragmatism. I'm just going to do what I know is going to work. What everybody thinks and knows is going to work. That's what I'm going to spend my life. That's what I'm going to pursue. Ambition for God can be derailed by that pragmatism. It wasn't just Saul's ambitions that took him off track. See, the same thing in Samuel, the judge. Samuel, the prophet. The Lord had told him in verse 1... Fill your horn and go. That means he's getting ready to anoint a new king with with oil because I have provided for myself a king among the sons of Jesse, the Lord tells him. Now Samuel was nervous because if Saul finds out that he's anointing a new king, Saul's going to try to kill him. But Samuel follows the Lord anyway. So far, so good. He's anxious, but he's talking to the Lord about his anxieties. That's, That's how we should treat our anxieties. Talk to the Lord about them. Who is Samuel looking for? What kind of a king is he looking to anoint? Well, in those days as now, usually when people are making leadership decisions, the go-to is tall, strong, and impressive. It's what everybody wants in a leader, right? Tall, strong, capable, impressive. It's obvious. Now, I hope this just not my own particular bias as a short guy but maybe those aren't the best choices. Maybe that pragmatic of what works in the world, tall and impressive, may not be God's choice, Samuel. Look at verse 6. He saw Eliab, who was the oldest. And Samuel was mesmerized by his appearance, by his, his height. Maybe, maybe Eliab was a great athlete. Maybe he was strong. Maybe he was buff. Maybe he was the all-star quarterback for the North Bethlehem Bandits. We don't know. Why he was impressive, but Samuel saw him and thought, absolutely, this has to be the guy. This guy's tall, he's strong, he's handsome, he's impressive. Of course he's the one. I've got this. I know how the world works. I know what we need in a leader. I've got this, except for this. The way Eliab is described is mirrored in 1 Samuel 10, verses 23 and 24, when Saul was chosen to be king because he was the tallest and the most impressive. That pragmatic choice of looking to Eliab would result in Saul 2.0. But maybe the Lord wanted something different. Maybe he wanted a king with, with different qualities than the tall and the strong and the impressive that our culture celebrates. Sure, Eliab was impressive, but he wasn't the Lord's anointed. If you're going to memorize any verse from this scripture text, I would encourage you memorize verse 7 if you haven't already before. Verse 7 says this, for the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. God's not looking for a pragmatic people who look perfectly put together. We've got it all worked out and we know the, the image that we need to present to the world of success. That's not what God's looking for. Beware of being impressed by the impressive. Beware of assuming that impressive is what the Lord wants because impressive doesn't always equal godly. That I've got this attitude that streetwise, I'm I know what works. I know how this leadership thing gets going. I know what needs to happen. That pragmatism is what led Samuel astray. The question for us is what captures our imaginations? What captures our hearts? Is is what seems to work in the eyes of our culture, what seems impressive, is that actually what honors the Lord? Because God's questions, God's pursuits revolve around matters of the heart. God's concerned with character. God is concerned with submission to his will, submission to his word. Does the Lord have hold of that in our lives? Does the Lord have hold hold of that in our hearts and our imaginations? Sometimes the Lord, as the Apostle Paul says, chooses what is foolish in the eyes of the world to confound the wise. Sometimes in Christ there is strength in weakness. And none of that makes any sense unless there is a loving and powerful Lord who is actively and intimately involved in our lives, who is present with us to lead us and shepherd us and provide for us. We don't have to lunge for what is impressive in the eyes of the world because Christ is our strength. The one who came for us and entered in this world, who gave his life as a sacrifice, he is alive within us. His life in us is our strength. Jesus in us is what is impressive. Jesus in us is what will make us honor the Lord. Jesus in us will grab hold of our hearts and enable us to say, submitting to the will and the way of the Lord is what is most important in my life. If Christ isn't in us, that submitting to the will of the Lord is the most important thing is going to sound like rubbish. But when Jesus is alive, we count his life in us as the most significant, the most true, the most foundational thing about us. So what are you longing for? What are you hoping to be known for? What, what, What are you longing to be impressive about in the eyes of the world? Or are you asking the Lord for a deeper submission to his word and to his ways? It's the only way any of this is gonna make sense is if we long for that heart and character of submission to the Lord. Samuel ran through the other sons. No, 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 not any of these guys. And then he comes, verse 11, to the youngest. In Hebrew, that word is hakatan. And it's a combination of youth and small size and kind of a easily overlooked throwaway person. It's like when Samuel says, "Are these all your boys?" Jesse says, "Well, I have this runt who's out in the field." But nobody thinks he's going to be king. He's he's the Hakatan, he's he's too small, he's too young, and nobody counts him as significant. He's not the seventh son of Jesse, the biblical number of perfection. He's the eighth son. The one nobody counts as significant for anything. He's inconsequential. Did you notice that we aren't even told this son's name until verse 13 at the end? It's not even told it's David until at the end. But this David is the Lord's anointed one. The David is the one who's the servant, the one who's dumb in the eyes of pragmatism. He's too young. He's too small. He's he's unqualified. And yet, with a heart in the hands of the Lord, the Lord does incredible things through David. What captures your heart? What captures your imagination and the longings of your life? Is it the pragmatics of being desiring to be impressive in the eyes of the world? Or is it something else? Is it submission to the word of God above all that captures your heart? Our ambition for God can be derailed by pursuing pragmatism. Just what works. Finally, in this text, we see that there's an ambition for the Lord that leads us to serve. Look at verse 11 again. Where was David found? He was tending the sheep. David's a shepherd. He's, he's in the field looking for these defenseless, really dumb creatures. <laughs> looking after these creatures who wander into harm day after day after day. That's where David... Was found. Some of you know that I spent part of the summer on my sabbatical in Scotland and staying on the Isle of Skye, I stayed at this sheep farm. There's a, a house and you look down the hill and there's all these sheep in this field. And I had, a, had the privilege of watching them for hours. And there was a big crevice in the middle of the field, just, a, just a kind of a, 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 an indention, a tear in the ground. And I would watch sheep stumble into it, fall, Other sheep follow them, stumble into it and fall, and then they would climb out. And then they go back the other way into it, stumble and fall into the same crevice. Over and over and over again. These are creatures that can't defend themselves. They constantly wander into danger. And they also put their shepherd in danger. There were lions in those days in in Israel. And sometimes a shepherd had to stand in between the lion and the sheep to protect their lives. This, the shepherd would risk his life for this weak, defenseless, dumb creature. He would use his power, he used all of his strength to, to exalt and lift up the needy and the vulnerable and the easy to prey upon. A shepherd's ambitions were pointed away from himself in order to protect someone else, protect the more weak. And in that, we're seeing the making of a heart after God's own heart. David, May have been the runt, but he was a shepherd. His strength of his life, his power was to risk his life and to protect the weaker, to protect the vulnerable. That's what the Lord wanted in a king for his people. Someone whose ambitions weren't to make a great name for himself, but to spend his life to bless God's people. That's a heart after God's own heart. So how do you spend your energies How are you and I spending our strengths and and using whatever power we have in this world? Are we using it to help someone who's in need? Or do we use all of our energy and our strength to shore up a name for ourselves? Where are your ambitions pointed? If your ambitions are pointed toward the Lord, he's going to lead you in some place to lay down your life and serve because you're being shaped to have a heart like his. Having ambitions turned toward the Lord in his service doesn't necessarily mean that God calls every one of us into some kind of fantastic ministry. I think sometimes we believe that lie that if I'm, if I'm going to live for God, I got to do something great. I got to do something significant, something big. But what if the great thing the Lord is calling you to be is a good friend? A friend who's willing to sit next to somebody who's grieving and just have that ministry of presence to be there as a friend, to hear and listen and encourage. There's greatness in that using your time and your energy to support a friend who's in need. Or what if that greatness the Lord is calling you to is as a parent? There is valiant honor in serving as a parent and choosing to love your kids and move toward your kids even when what comes back from them isn't love, It doesn't always come back as it's given. Sometimes it comes back with being reviled when you've loved and yet to continue to move toward and ask the Lord to shape our child's heart even deeper than where we are wanting to manage their behaviors. It's a heart after God's own heart. Would you help me to do something to be like you, to love my child when it's hard? It doesn't have to be this big big great mission out there in your everyday life your ambitions can be turned toward Jesus to live for Jesus exactly where you are be on mission for Jesus in your home or in your neighborhood or in your workplace in your workplace just a simple a simple question you can ask how can I represent the character of Christ in my workplace by what I do The work that I'm doing, as well as how I'm doing my work. How can I represent the character of Jesus? How can I show that I care about what Jesus cares about? It doesn't have to be something big and magnificent. It might be the Lord just puts one thing in front of you and calls you to represent his life in that place. Let's not lose how striking this was for David. David was the new king, he'd been anointed. Saul was not. And yet, what was the first ministry the Lord gave David? If you read the rest of chapter 16, the Lord sent David into the courts of Saul. His very first act as king was to give himself in a place where this person wanted to hurt him. Saul wanted to damage David. Saul would stalk him. Saul attempted to kill him time after time after time. And yet, the Lord sent David into that place to show love to show grace, to try to encourage this person who was a whole lot worse than a dumb sheep, but who was a foolish man who liked to hurt the people around him. In that way, King David is just a shadow of the true King Jesus, because he not only risks his life to protect the sinful and the broken and the weak, Jesus gave his life for us. He left the throne of heaven to become The runt for us, whom Isaiah would call not tall and handsome, but Jesus was the one who was beaten and the one who was disfigured as he went to the cross for us to protect us and to take on himself the condemnation that we deserve. He didn't just risk his life. Jesus gave his life for us. He entered into our world. He's entered into our mess, and he's taken our sin all on his shoulders so that by his wounds, we are healed. We are forgiven. David is just a small picture of the Jesus who has come for you. Just as David needed, you and I need that good shepherd Jesus. If we're ever going to be free of our selfish ambitions, if we're ever going to be free from slavery to our sin, we need Jesus because even the most beautiful, the most impressive, the most gifted among us are still broken sinners who can't do anything to give ourselves eternal life. Each of us must trust the Lord Jesus because every one of us are desperately wicked and sinful and we are vulnerable like these sheep that need protecting even from ourselves. And that's what the Lord has come to do, to lift us up and give us life when we are in the grips, in the throes of the danger of our sin. It's never too late, you know. If you want a heart like God's, it's never too late to ask the Lord for it. It's never too late to turn to your protector, to turn to your savior, to give you a heart like his. You're never too old to ask the Lord to do the work of beginning to make you new, of reshaping, of of remaking us into the kinds of people who long to serve rather than be served. You're never too old to ask the Lord to begin freeing you from your selfish ambition. You're never too young either to live with an ambition for the Lord's name. But it's gonna require something of us. It requires us to bend the knee and embrace the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. To know that we are the sinful and the broken and the desperate and this Jesus has come into our lives to make us new and to forgive us and to begin remaking us by the power of the Spirit. The power of the Spirit is alive in you to turn your hearts and your attitudes from, I've got this, to He's got this. He's got me in His hands. Friends, that same Spirit who empowered David is given to you to give you, too, a heart for God. Will you turn to Him and ask for it today? Let's pray. Father, we turn and ask once more that you would make us more like Jesus. There's some people in this room, some people joining us online who've never trusted you for their salvation, who's never said, Lord, I want to be unified with you so that your future, your health, your salvation is given to me. Lord, I pray today would be the day of salvation for any sinner who's lost. For all of us, Lord, we have to turn again and again and again and ask you to make us new because we keep seeing how deep the roots of our sin goes. Would you root out the selfish ambition from our hearts? Give us a heart like yours that longs to serve and longs to love and longs to lift up the weak and the broken and the vulnerable. Make us like you, Lord and make us a church filled with people like that so that our city would see that Jesus is alive at Central Presbyterian Church. We ask it all in Jesus' strong and capable name, amen.